0: Born
1: and
2: raised in the
1: motherland, chasing a better life, story of an immigrant. Concrete pastures. Concrete pastures. pastures. Hello, family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisy. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode.
3: Okay. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the African DAD um, miniseries. DAD stands for Discussions Among diasporans. Um, This is an event that is focused on fatherhood, um, Black um, manhood across uh, for African immigrant men from all across the diaspora. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. Um, I am the host of the My Blackest Transnational podcast, and um, I'd like to thank my fellow collaborators, um, the Pansa Pansa podcast, also uh, Concrete Pastures podcast, and the More Civil podcast uh, for coming and putting this important uh, conversation, much needed conversation for me, being in public health, also acknowledging the fact that this is Men's Health Month. So being able to have this conversation, uh, talking about fatherhood, talking about health, talking about the immigrant experience, is crucial, much needed, and hopefully can be continued in our respective communities. Uh, So before we begin, I want to also uh, go over some really quick ground rules um, before I introduce our facilitators. First thing is, please, if you're not talking, mute your screen so we can minimize the phone, uh, phone ringings and the kids in the background that you're probably multitasking, taking care of. Um, secondly, um, we will be having conversations if you have, if you have, um, if you have any type of, uh, questions or you have thoughts, please feel free to use the chat. Uh, we will be keeping, um, up or monitoring the chat room. So please, if you have any additional thoughts or questions, responses to what's being said by these men, please use the chat to respond. And we will be able to have a conversation if you have some important questions, We'll keep note of it and you can bring it up. We will be having a question and answer session at the end, towards the end, I should say. And that, I think we can have a nice village conversation. And so that's the other rule. Other than that, um, please, you know, make sure you're listening. If you, um, you know, you enjoying it, share, invite your friends, family. The link is at the bottom. You can invite people to jump in the conversation as we're going midway. And, and I hope we can have a really uh, productive, healthy conversation and we can have a lot of fun um, celebrating this. Uh, so with that being said, I'd like to introduce our facilitator for this conversation. This is Kemi Siriki, who I affectionately call my Auntie Kemi. Uh, she is the host of the Ponza Pansa podcast, but also the author behind the Ponsa Panza forum, which is a website that I encourage you all to check out. Um, and we will also be sharing, Mo, I know I messed up and I didn't send this thing to you, but shall forgive me. But like, <laughs> we'll also be sharing our information for our respective platforms so that you all can be able to check it out for future references. But Auntie Kemi, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you so much for facilitating.
4: Good morning, everyone. And um, thank you, everyone. Good morning for joining uh, this important forum discussion. My name again is Kemi Seriki. I'm the host of Pansa Pansa Forum, and uh, in, on the podcast, we actually discuss the discuss experiences and the challenges African immigrant community and intergenerational issue within the family. So this actually conversation falls into. Uh, the purpose of Pansa Pansa Forum. And I'm so happy since I've met, uh, Kelechi, the first one in this group. He's becoming, he has been like a family. So is, uh, uh Nancy Mulewa Sisi as well as My dear Mo Sibu, as well. (laughs) You know, so we've been working with this together and thank you so much for all the effort and everything you put in. So I would like to welcome everyone to this community conversation on fatherhood within African immigrant community. Since our last uh, uh, community conversation, which was held last year about African immigrant experiences and intergenerational relationship, I've always wanted to, hold a community conversation on the role of fatherhood within our community, because most of the time we talk about mothers, but we don't really talk about the fathers. Even though there are diversity of many family composition in, uh, in the diaspora, within our community, there are single fathers, home in which, you know, fathers are the only one raising the children. And then there's also single mother like me, you know, in which I raised two of my children by myself, with the whole community of the village that I build up for myself. All these situations also occur for a variety of reasons. Why we have single parents, we have, you know, uh, both parents in the household or whatever we want to talk about. So how, then the question is, how has migration impacted the role of fatherhood in our community in the diaspora, whether you are in America or Canada or in Europe? So, as an African fathers within living in the diaspora, how has migration forced the changes or modified the role of fathers in division of household responsibilities? Okay, and also involvement in children's lives, such as the area in child in terms of child care, you know, and so many other things, educational responsibility. So to say that I just want to say tomorrow is Father's Day and we're all going to celebrate Father's Day. And what a great day to have this conversation a day before Father's Day in advance. So, and I'm also going to quote President Obama that says about fatherhood. uh, President Obama said, every man is trying to live up to his father's expectation and to make up for their father's mistake. So we are not all perfect. As a parents, our parents were not perfect. As a parents, and our children, when they become parents, they won't be perfect either. <laughs> you know, so that's how we have to see. So, with that being said, today I believe we have about five, maybe six now panelists. You know, who are going to contribute? Because I saw Mr. Sammy who also that I contacted yesterday, and is willing to also join us. Is a young father you know, living in New York City. So I would like to um, ask each one of our volunteers to introduce themselves, talk a little bit about your background to our audience as to where you presently reside and uh, the reason for accepting this invitation for this forum. So who is gonna go first? I'll call uh, Mr. Fapuunda
5: as the elder. (laughs) Thank you very much. Where do I start? I mean, okay. I, my name is Babatunde Fakunda, as you can see on the screen. I, I don't know if I, I can say I'm the oldest there. You can tell I'm the only one with, uh, you know. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I came to the United States almost 43 years ago. To go to graduate school. And my background, I'm an engineer. My father was a pastor in the Anglican church. So I grew up literally, literally in the church. So, but I came here almost 43 years ago with the hope of getting a graduate degree and going back to Nigeria. But here I am, 43 years later, I'm still in the United States. I have, uh, why am I here? Well, my wife gave me an ultimatum that I have to do it. (laughs) And uh, after 39 years of marriage, you know, you you got to, uh, you know, you got to listen and you got to compromise and you got to do things to support your wife. And that's one thing I want to emphasize for the men here. You have to find a way to support your wife in whatever they do. This is my wife has been participating in this program. And I think I joined one of the maybe last year. I think I joined briefly. So since I got the invitation, I marked my calendar. I usually play soccer on Saturdays. Uh, but I said this Saturday, and fortunately, the season is over, so I have no excuse. Well, I have uh, I have a son and a daughter. My son is going to be thirty nine years old in September, and my daughter I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell you how old she is, but uh, she's younger. Okay, so and. We have we have moved a little bit in the last uh, since they were born 39 years ago. We lived in the UK for some time. They they are British, you know, and also Americans. So you can tell the the kind of uh, you know environments we lived in, you know, in the UK, in the United States. They haven't lived in Nigeria, but I have. And my wife has also lived in Nigeria, so you can imagine the cultural challenges that we have to go through in raising these two, you know, in raising my children. Yeah, I'll still call them children. Um, in in two different cultures. Thank you so, so much. So um, I'm gonna stop, and because when I get going, I I can't stop. You know, I got a, <laughs> I got a lot to say. You know, but uh, let me stop right there and then give the next guy the opportunity to introduce himself.
4: Thank you thank so you. much for that. That's such a gracious uh, invitation. I mean, uh, introduction. So, um Mr. Stephen, you want to go? Who wants to go next? You want? want me to go as Zambaza?
6: Yes, yeah, Zambaza. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, guys, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name is Sambaza of Sambaza Podcast, and I got the invitation from Nancy Mulemwa. And um, she asked me to join in, and I was like, Oh, well, uh, let me join in and uh, see what uh, we got going on. I see the panel here. Um, looks like we're going to have a good conversation. Now, I'm from Kenya, which is in East Africa i uh, been living in the United States, as I said before, for those who missed, uh, I, I'll be like 21 years uh, being in America on June 21st, that's next week, and um, married for 15 years, have two kids, 13-year-old and 11-year-old. 13-year-old is a boy, 11-year-old is a girl, they're currently swimming right now, I couldn't attend, so um, that's why I'm here. But... Um, I'm stoked to be here. My, I immigrated here from what you, you've gathered and my kids are actually, uh, let me put it this way. As my wife says, they're truly African-American because I'm African. My wife is American. So we have kids who are like say, African-American. So that's the, the nucleus of our family. And, um, that's the basis of where we can start our conversation at and i'm um, i'm happy to be around uh, knowledgeable people today and uh happy father's day to the fathers and mothers out there thank yeah.
7: you so much
4: so who wants to go next um mr taiwo or mr subwa you want to go in?
8: i can go okay, okay. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, my name is Taiwo Adelikbe. And, um, yeah, just like, uh, the first speaker, uh, I'm here to support my wife too. Uh, (laughs) um, but anyway, I've been married 11, uh, sorry, hold on, 12 years. (laughs) Um, married 12 years. We have a four-year-old daughter. Um, and been in the U.S. about 12 years to, uh, immigrated, uh, here. EI 2011, as well. um, uh, We currently live in Oklahoma. Um, What else am I missing out? And I'm really glad to be here um, to learn a little bit about, you know, people's experiences and to share my um, unique experiences as a father as well. Um, So thank you for having me.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, who, what else do we have?
9: Uh, I can go next. Yes. Yep. So, hello, everyone. Hope everyone is having a good weekend. Um, my name is Kenny Pokwala. Um, I'm a dad of two, an eight, eight year old girl and a three and a half year old son. I live across the pond in the UK, um, with my wife. Um, been living in the uk now for like 12 years um originally from nigeria um i've been on the most podcast a couple of times to share about my um journey because it's quite a unique journey as well and i'm glad to be here to share my experiences as well
4: okay thank you so much for that um mr sami disu you want to go
7: Yes, uh,
0: greetings, everybody. Um, This is Sami Disu speaking to you actually from Accra, Ghana. I hope the internet connection is stable. Sometimes it's an issue. I typically live in New York City, um, have been living in New York City for about 17, 18 years, uh, which means most, uh, which means I've lived in New York uh, more than anywhere. Else, uh, including Ghana, which is where I'm originally from. Uh, back in the U.S., I I work. I've, I've had several work experiences. Um, I have a communications background. I also teach at City University of New York in the Africana department. I also have an activist uh, background, pretty active in the New York State area. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Oh. I also have a five year old daughter called Zuri Ya disu, um, and um, yes, I'll be drawing from some of my experiences uh, being a dad in in the United States and sharing with you. Thank you
4: So why did you accept the invitation today?
0: well. Um, last minute uh yesterday miss sariki invited me to be a part of this discussion and how can i say no to Ms. sariki who's who's uh very active in our communities here in new york and and here for anybody and everybody as and when uh we need her so really it's it's responding to the call uh, but um being being with africans and the black immigrant community and engaged in these affairs. This is, this is my cup of tea to begin with. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. So we have one
7: person who was in Mr. Uh, Gure, Savo. I'm not sure if he's there. Well, maybe you will join us later
4: on. So I just, so let's move on. So as the saying goes, our roots is what's, what makes us to be who we are today. For each one of the men on this pa- panel, what was your childhood memorable, uh, favorable memory? Please briefly tell our audience what was it that you missed mostly from your
6: home country. I, th- I think I, I enjoyed the beach. Um, we live by the beach, and uh, that's what I miss the most. And when I go back, I always want to travel right back to where I was. Um, I, I grew up um, and spend some time watching. You know, just just hanging around near the sea. It's uh, very relaxing, quiet. And um, I think those are one of the best childhood memories I've ever had. And uh, yeah, till to date.
4: So what about you, Mr. Kenny? Anybody else wants to share?
9: Yes. Um, I mean, growing up in Lagos, um, I miss that communal living. We used to live in like blocks of flat. And, um, growing up, coming back from school, everybody would rush off to do their homework and then gather downstairs. And then juxtaposing that with like living, um, in the UK, uh, it's quite different. It feels a bit isolated. So everybody is just in their houses and the only time kids get to interact is either during school period or like if there's an outing. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely miss that uh, with my kids. I try to give them the opportunity to get out a bit more as opposed to just staying indoors, which is quite popular around here. Yeah,
7: thank you. So Mr. Fapunda or anybody else? I have?
9: I Yeah,
5: I'll, I can take that. Um, it, it's a little difficult for me to say what I miss most and I'll tell you why because I've been out of the country for too long yeah so if you had asked me the question maybe 40 years ago my answer would probably be different from what I'll give you now yeah. so but the the thing that I miss most is family
9: mm-hmm.
5: you know um I have Four siblings. And I had 27, 27 nephews and nieces. And right now, maybe up to 50 grandnephews and nieces. And because I don't have the opportunity anymore to at least spend some time with some of them and get to know them. And because I told you my father was a pastor and I we lived in a vicarage, which used to be, for those of you who are Anglican, the, the vicarage was everybody's home. You know, people come and family will come and stay without notice. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, and for every family member that came, you could see the uniqueness. And they tell you stories. The stories that you can't hear from either your mother or your father because they are too busy. The uncles will tell you. Your aunts will tell you. And some of them, some cousins, they claim they are cousins. You can't even, you you don't even know the relationship. You don't have to know because your parents tell you that's your cousin. That's your uncle, you know. Mm -hmm. So, the wisdom that they transfer, knowingly or unknowingly, it does not wouldn't didn't resonate with you until maybe years later, yeah. and so that is to me is what I miss most about about growing up in Nigeria. And that, that is so powerful what you just said
4: because I could relate to the same thing. I've been in America now for a little bit over forty years too. Uh, You know, you've been away from that society for so long, you don't really know what you missed. But then in terms of, you know, you know, there's a strong family background, strong connection with the neighbors, with everybody around you, we take up for you for whatever it is, you know, no child left behind. It takes a village to raise a child. That's where that, that saying comes into play. So thank you so much for that. So, Mr. Uh, Taiwo or Mr. Disu, you have anything to contribute to that?
8: Uh, I'll go. Um, so, I miss two things, you know, growing up with my uh, father and uh, my twin brother, taking trips to our farm in Ota, then you know, uh, and harvesting crops, you know, roasting things on the farm, you know, stopping by to have some palm wine. On the way home, you know, I miss that. (laughs) I miss that experience. Um, And then the other thing I miss is, you know, that sense of community. Um, We try to create that here, you know, with the Nigerian community we have. You know, I know usually around Christmas and things like that, when we have events, we have, you know, my siblings and my parents, everybody comes home and just have a good time together together. And over dinner and all that, you know, dancing and just having a good time together. I miss that. You know, it's hard to um, replicate that here. But we try, you know, among the Nigerian community here in Oklahoma City. So,
4: yeah. Thank you so much. Mr. Disu, you have anything?
0: Uh, Yes. So my family moved uh, uh, traveled a, a lot, uh, when I was younger. So maybe from 10 to 20 years of age is when I could draw some, uh, some, some of these uh, good times that I can actually remember. And that was in Kuwait, which is in the Middle East. My dad was working there as a journalist. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I, I and my siblings were able to join my dad. Along with my mom in Kuwait. Uh, and we had some great times, just a nucleus of that family. Um, my, my parents would later divorce. Uh, it was even, uh, not a very pleasant one, uh, by my recollection. But I remember, yes, the earliest times that we were in Kuwait, um, uh, when things were good between them and when we were all together, uh, just wonderful times. Um, everyone in good health, uh, that, that's what I can draw on for oh, great memories.
4: Thank you so much for that. So I want to ask you, going into much more uh, deep into conversation, what was your view or concept of fatherhood when you were growing up
5: in your respective, respective countries? What was your view of fatherhood? My father and mother got married in 1942. And my father died a few, a few, a few months before I came to the United States. So, and I came in 1980. So, my mother was widowed in 1980, and my mother died um, in January 2021 at the age of 116 days. So she was widowed for 40 years. At least.
1: Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, Better Health. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours.
5: And like I said, my dad was a pastor. And so I, I watched him the role he played, he was the head of the family. And he lived his life as the head of the family. Being the head of the family doesn't mean you have to be rich, doesn't mean you have to be able to provide everything, but you have that, that uh, I mean, the Yoruba adage says, it's not a
9: Mm
5: -hmm. What it means is the head has to remain the head. You You can't walk on your head, okay? If you start walking on your head, I'm trying to be, you know, try to translate. So the role of the father, as far as I'm concerned, is the head of the family. And what does that mean? You have to provide for the family. You have to support the family. You have to laugh with the family. You have to weep with the family because you don't have a full day if you don't cry. Something emotional has to hit you on a daily basis, and you cry. And then if you find something that makes you happy, you laugh. When you do that, your day is complete. Don't, don't lie to yourself, okay? Every day is not going to be, you know, a basket of cherries. There are days that are good, some are bad. But as a father, as the head of the family, you have to be ready for that. You have to be able to deal with that. Because, and I'm telling you now from experience, if you have a male child or a male or a female child, they're watching. They're watching how you react, how you behave when the chips are down and they look up to you. So if you, if you fold and forget about your role as the head of the family, you are failing your family as a father.
7: Thank you That's so it. much for that. Thank you. So who wants to go next? Mr. kenny
6: or Mr. Yes, uh, I'll, go, I'll go next. Um, well, um, if I look at it from uh, my perspective, in our community, uh, the dad was ahead head of the family. And I think my dad and mom, uh, God rest their souls. They uh, stayed married for a long time. And, uh, they had this thing where it was peculiar. They never kept secrets from each other. So whatever we t- I might go to say a secret to my mom and think that it'll not get to my dad. Somehow it'll get to my dad and my dad would tell me. So I realized at one point, like, look, uh, you're not hiding anything from each other. Whoever you're going to talk to is going to tell the other person the, you know, the the whole story. So might as well just pick and choose whichever time is convenient and explain to it. Now, does that happen right now in my family, in my current family? Yes. Now these are some of the values that you pick on. And um, uh, the other things I can say is, which is weird in, See, in the in the African setting where the man, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to put this out there. The man does not get into the kitchen and cook. For me, fortunately, I'll speak for myself. I have gotten into the kitchen maybe about five, ten times to cook. I think even more, than five, between five and ten times in our 15 years of marriage. Because of the way my wife is, contrary to what people think about African-American women. My wife cooks and she accords me the the opportunity to do other things. Not that I don't have my role, but there's a role that I play as a man and I have to fulfill that. But she takes care of the kitchen part and I do the grilling. She cannot grill. So grilling is my part. And that's where we, we kind of have those um, those roles. And these roles were passed on from my Father and to me, and this is what I watched my father, and this is what she watched her mom um, go through those type of roles. So I think somehow I always say I'm the unicorn because we mesh in terms of our family family setting. And it's worked out fine for us, contrary to some other people who would have a different perspective when it comes to cooking, especially in America where roles are shared. Now When it comes to other things like taking care of the baby, you know, like carrying the baby, you know, walking around with the baby, moving around with the baby. Those are things that I had to, I had to learn. I remember the first time my mom seen me change a diaper. She, she actually was amazed that I could change the diaper and I looked at her and I said, well, you have to do these things because this is what, what is uh, expected of you. So, those are some slight roles that have changed, even though my dad had those traditional roles where you know he he only carried the child when the child was cleaned up, you know ready when they needed to do go do their thing, she passed it on to a maid, which we don't have here um so bottom line is uh, roles do change when you leave Africa, the African setting you come to America um and again, I say, I got the unicorn where. I got to pass, you know, some, I, I got to skip some of those those roles a little bit on the cooking part. Even though I'm a good cook, I must say, I'm going to tell you that I can cook.
7: Thank
4: you so much for that. It lost you covered, as well as Mr. who also covered so many grounds on that. So, Mr. Kenny, do you have anything?
9: Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, piggyback on what uh, Mr. Fakwanda and uh, Ms. Ambassador said. It's all about mirroring. I was fortunate enough to meet both my paternal grandparents, um, so my granddad from both sides. And it was just a case of they luckily set good examples. I saw the way they treated my um, grandmothers. I saw the way they treated my parents. And it was only natural, because what I realized is kids will do what they see, not exactly what you tell them. So it's just about that conscious effort to make sure you're sending the right messages even though we encourage you to say things to them, they will still mirror what you do, all the acts you do. So it was things like their work, work ethics, um, how they always go out each day, make a living for the family, come back home, support their spouses, things like that, things that I picked up from an early age to say, okay, once you get married, you have to put your hands to the to the wheel and and get stuff done um support your wife as well be hands on with the kids as well and just make it easier so for me it's just about mirroring looking out at those examples and picking up the right things from uh, from those who have come before us
4: yeah thank you so much thank you mr adedipe
8: yes um of a father i guess growing up Uh, I saw my dad also as a provider. Uh, He did his best um, while he was here to uh, be the provider. You know, I remember times when we will go meet him and, you know, he taught me. I guess one big thing I learned from him was um, learning to live within your means and to budget, you know, not trying to get overboard on things, you know. So that was a really big one I learned. Uh, I didn't learn this one specifically for my dad, but my son and my twin were the last born. So we're the ones mostly at home with my dad and mom when everyone else was gone. And I quickly learned that we had to help with cleaning the house and, uh, you know, cooking sometimes, doing the dishes. So those didn't come on natural, you know, when I got married. You know, that, uh it was easy to support my wife, you know, in keeping the house, you know, so... Yeah, so in terms of uh, the roles of a father, I think, you know, number one is provider and um, also supporting your, your your child and your wife. So,
7: yeah. Mr. Disu. Yes, uh, I just echoing a
0: number of the speakers on this question before me. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I was raised uh, in a Muslim household, uh, where we have some very set traditional roles for the father and the mother, uh, certainly head of the head of the father we're also African, and so society wise that nothing really surprising about that, uh, but our family did travel around a lot, even my dad before he met my mom, uh, very young traveling and learned to to be independent, cooking his own meals. So that's the way he raised us. That's the way that both my parents raised us. Um, Whether we were boys or girls, and there were four of us at one point, uh, we all learned to do all of the household chores, uh, cooking, um, no defined uh, traditional rules for girls, in other words, in that household. Now, since becoming a dad uh in the United States, and I, I think I have embraced, just looking at how I've been moving about uh family business, I've I've embraced the more traditional roles of of a dad being a provider of of the household and being the first to weather any External f- threats, if you will, just uh, being the first to, to, to sacrifice for the family where necessary. It's just, I've sort of just fallen into that role. I kind of feel it, it, it works best that way for, for, for me and my family. Um, that's what I'll, w- I'll say about that.
4: Thank you so much. So since a lot, a lot you've all well covered, uh, uh, during this, uh, uh, rule of, um, question. And who is much more a disciplinarian in your family, your dad or your mom? Just one, one answer. Dad, mom, Who is more, who are you more afraid of or you think you could go to when you're going through something? Who would you approach, your mom or your dad?
6: I'll go with my mom. My dad was <laughs> unapproachable.
4: <laughs> wow,
6: okay. <laughs> Mr. Kapunda.
4: Hey, it was my mother. Your mother. You'd rather talk to her?
9: Yes.
4: Yes. What about you, Mr. Kenny?
9: Yeah, it would have been mom as well. Okay,
4: Mr. Disu, so who would you go?
0: My mom was the more approachable by far.
4: Okay, and uh, Mr. Taiwo, how
8: Yep, my mom <laughs> was more approachable. Dad was a strict disciplinarian.
4: Okay, so. so we we all recognize that. I I believe most of us rather you know approach our mom instead of the father. So, and I hope, you know, the, that rule change since we came to this country. So, um, and I understand from your family background, the structure and your upbringing, what would you have preferred to change from your family background? What would you have preferred to change? Because I know there's so many people, I grew up in a polygamous family and living with other relatives, you know, how does, you know, and a lot of times it does have an impact in someone's life growing up?
7: Just briefly, just tell me what in one or two sentences.
5: I, I, w- I wouldn't I would say, you know, change, because I, I can't think of anything that I would change or that I would trade from my childhood, you know? And, and again, maybe because... Every, every child is the product of his, his or her environment. Mm
7: -hmm.
5: My, my father was a pastor. So my experience or experiences growing up is going to be a lot different from actually a lot different from my wife's experience growing up. You know, my father was a pastor. We moved from village to towns to village to towns and my wife. It's different, you know she's I'm married dog let's put it that way, okay, so her experiences are different from mine and 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 so would I have modified something a little bit? I wish I could have you know if if it was possible. For my father not to be transferred every three years to go, I but I couldn't change that. So there was it, it was the nature of the beast. That's the that's the work he signed up for. So if there's anything I could have changed, maybe between when I was born and and the age eleven when I went to a boarding school, that is probably what I I would have loved to change. Thank you. So, Thank you.
4: Anybody else wants to?
9: Um, it's, it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? Because I, I think it's all down to environment and the information you're exposed to. So our parents and grandparents acted based on the knowledge and the environment they were in. Um, so, I mean, we were about to call them some slack. But in my case, I, I guess really just working based on like how I'm raising my kids now, is I wish my dad would have been a bit more hands-on in, like, um, raising us in terms of, like, the school activities that was usually left to mom to just do. Because I look at myself, like, when I take my son to nursery, it gives you a chance to have a chat with the teacher, find out about things that are going on with him at school, and then can pick up those things at home as well. But, like I said, it's down to the environment and the knowledge at the time. So, uh, that will be it for me. Thank you. Mister. Uh...
6: Sambaza. Sambaza. Yes. Um. I think it's the same thing everyone has said, uh, Mr. Babatunde and Mr. Kenny, with regard to what you can change. Um. Like I like the part where you said hands-on. We are more hands-on than our parents were, especially my dad. Even though still, like you guys said, we, we may have changed, but it's still the same thing. My my son would talk to my my wife before he comes to talk to me. So with my daughter on some things. And if they do something wrong, all my wife needs to say is let me talk to your dad and we'll see what happens. And they'll quickly uh, do what they're supposed to do. Um, Yeah. And being hands-on is, is actually something that, uh, yeah, I would have liked to, because I participate in their sports um, and I coach them. Uh, when they go to swim, I'm with them, you know, so I'm always around them to the point where sometimes I'm like, gosh, I wish my parents just could have come to watch at least one soccer game or just one rugby game, or just, just be there for a sport and say, Hey, you know what? I I, I'm here for you. But considering that I was in a boarding school and they were far away, uh, uh, there you go. I have to cut them some slack. Uh, But yeah that was maybe one of the only things that I may have felt that um could have been changed but yeah. it, it it was what it was and um well maybe that's the reason why I'm more hands on uh, on this uh, this other side with okay. my kids
7: yeah okay. Mr. Diso, or Mr. Taiwan.
8: So I wouldn't really change anything um okay. But I'll say, maybe I wish my dad you know had more conversations with us mm-hmm. uh, instead of going straight to <laughs> corporal punishments, you know growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corporal punishment did help, and mostly it was, you know when I didn't do too great you know in school, uh, he was like, "Oh, your friends that you know were first place." You know, do they have two heads, you know, and then, you know, we would get spanked and then that would make you sit up the next academic year. You know, you try being the best. It helped, but it was more out of fear. But I wish he had, you know, had some words of affirmation, you know, and, you know, done more of conversation instead of, you know, going straight to um, discipline. You know, But it did help you know at least it's achieved the same goal but i wish it was the other way around well,
4: thank you so, so. much mr disso you have any briefly
0: <laughs> yes uh, i think if i had the power to change the attitudes of my parents uh, while growing up i would have wished that my father was was more accepting of the need to give my mom more decision-making power in the household especially as and when she was contributing more to the family finances um, my dad um, that was one area i think um, that lack of movement on my dad's part i think really affected the long-term ability of the family to just uh, be together uh, over the longer longer run so and I've learned from that personally in my own relationship with my wife. I've, I don't want to make that sort of mistake, especially being that we are outside living in parts of the world where ma- male's traditional role is not what it is back at home in Ghana. So that's one thing I would have changed.
7: Thank you so okay. much. Thank you
0: so much. So can, I want I, to...
6: can I interject something here? Yeah. I think for for all what we've been going through, and uh, somebody told me this a couple of uh, weeks ago, he said, the reason why our fathers were the way they were is when you came up with with the issue, we think more solution-based, not to hear, you know, to understand and then say, you know, have compassion. It's like, okay, I'm having this issue at school. First thing a dad would think of is what can we do to resolve this, right? So you're thinking about, okay, one, two, three, four, boom, 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 finish, right? But if it's going to a mother, your mother will be like, Oh, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. These things will happen like this. So you you wanna be you wanna go through that instead of being told, Hey, this is what I would like you to do, or oh, you're told this is because you did not do this, because this you know, you it's like you are you're on the receiving end yeah. to make sure that you 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 needed to know what to do, solve the problem.
7: Yeah. Not
6: understand the problem so that next time, you know, you can figure it out differently. You yes, know,
7: that's true. Yeah, that's true.
4: So I want to jump into migration now. Before you migrated uh, or immediately after you migrated to the United States, what was your view of your impression of what fatherhood may look like
7: in the United States or in Europe? You understand? Uh,
5: well, Go
7: I think first. I do,
5: but... Um when i when i came to the united states i did not have marriage in mind so the issue of fatherhood was not was not even on my mind you know because i came for graduate studies and so but i knew that one day i'll be a a, a father you know um but as as time went on and then I got married. Then I started thinking about, you know, what kind of father am I going to be? What kind of family am I going to build? Where and how? So, so to answer your question, initially it didn't, I mean, it wasn't really on my mind. It was I was um I was in engineering school. And by the way, the guy, someone said he lives in Oklahoma, right? Did I hear that right? Yeah, we're in. I went to Oklahoma State. I yes, we didn't go to OU, Edmund. okay? Because I hold it against you.
4: Thank <laughs> <Okay>. you, <laughs> thank you. So, <laughs> so Mister Kenny, you have anything to say regarding uh, your view of parenting in Western
9: world? Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't have much of an expectation because in Nigeria, a lot of our cultural influences came from America because a lot of the foreign tea was more American-based, so coming to the UK was quite different. It was a culture shock um, from things like when you're expecting a baby, how they include the fathers and everything from antenatal class to making decision on the betting process and everything, so it was all new to me in a nice way because from the beginning, they they channel you to be hands-on on, on, on everything, and they encourage you to be there during the bets and everything, so um, yeah, I'll say for me, I didn't have much of an expectation, but when I came here and I went through the process, it was quite a nice process. If I, mm-hmm. I say so. Wow,
7: wow! What about you, Mister Jesu? And uh... I'm not sure I have anything really to
0: add uh, okay. more on that. I also came in as a college student, uh, international student visa to the United States. Mm -hmm. So I was a little too young to be thinking of of fatherhood. But if I can give you a clue, I did have some, I would think, relatively traditional notions of what my uh, romantic life would be like. I I expected to marry the first person I was intimately involved with. That's that's how I came to the United States.
4: (laughs) That's great. So, Mr. Dedique, you have anything to say to that?
8: Okay, yeah, coming to the United States, you know, that the, that year was when we got married. I had not really thought that far into, you know, what fatherhood would look like, you know. But I don't think being in the United States, you know, my view of fatherhood has really changed compared to what I knew or experienced, you know, with my dad growing up. Uh, my parents were always hands-on involved in everything we did, you know, especially my dad too. So yeah, nothing really changed.
4: Yeah. So do you also play a role change? Because I I know many of you mentioned it during uh, the conversation regarding, you know, doing the household chores and many things that you are not really familiar with back in, you know, your respective countries, whereby you have to do the chores. As a, as a husband, a father, some of the role that wasn't you were not really familiar with. Mr. Kenny, would you like to talk more about that? I know you have a special child with special need.
9: Yeah, yeah. Um, that and also the fact that um uh, in the UK, childcare is expensive. So if you were to hire the services of a nanny, that's one of your wages. So is Either you or your spouse' wages will definitely go into like um, employing the services of a nanny or um, or additional childcare. So really, to make things easier for both of you, you just have to to pick up the slack. So yeah, it's been a case of just being hands on with everything. Um, so like I said, it was quite interesting going through like antenatal process and everything. So got um really clued on on how all those things work, like changing bathing and everything, because yeah, you have to do it together. Um even when we had our mother-in-laws coming, they could only stay for a limited period of time. So ultimately you need to pick up this the the slack. And also in our case where um our first daughter, our first child, our daughter has um additional needs, it also means like um, with hospital appointments and everything, uh, you have to get involved um, so you can be good to the appointments at the same time. So we have to share the knowledge. You have to uh, work with different medical practitioners. So um I say working together just makes it easier for the two of you. Make sure one person doesn't burn out and just that emotional support between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, in just a case of when... You you get the situations in your in your family life. You just have to um adapt and, and pick up the pace. Yeah. So in Europe, do they offer
4: so, uh, services such as respite care?
9: Yes, we start getting all of that now. So respite care, we get respite care, we get a few hours a week where somebody comes to help out with uh, with our daughter as well. So yeah, that's also handy to have. Uh,
4: and would you like to share a little bit of the challenges as a parent that you face?
9: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my daughter was born with a genetic condition, uh, which has meant she has um global developmental delay. Uh so she's eight years old, but doesn't typically do things that eight year old would do. So um she's dependent on us because she's tube fed and has limited mobility. So yeah, we have to pick up all those things like making sure she has a feed regularly. Uh, when she's going out um on a wheelchair, she gets the assistance as well. Um like you said, um yeah in the UK, we've got um uh, respite care. So um based on our needs, there's a panel that meets and then gives gives us a um, specific um number of hours to use for things like physio or hospital appointments and things like that. So, yeah, that's how it typically works here. Uh, We are fortunate to be in this country um, where the healthcare is free. We get it within the NHS. um, If we were across the pond, it would have set us back a lot financially. But, yeah, um, we just take it each day at a time.
4: Yeah, I love the healthcare in Europe. Anyway, in in London, in England, compared to what we have in America, because even though it's kind of free, body you have to battle with the insurance company That's, all yeah. the time. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really feel for you, and you're doing a great job because I've heard so much positive things from uh, um, uh, Mo. When she referred, you know, you know, mentioned that you're going to be part of this. So, for everybody, what would you say in general are the, uh, the systematic barriers or difficulties African immigrants experience in their new country, uh, such as adjusting to social or cultural changes? I know there are so many of our members of our community that they have language barriers. Or on transferable professional skill, or educational experience, or lack, we also talk about lack of a extended family as a support system for her. So declining your even self image. People may look at you and say, you know, because you are from Africa, the image that they have for that society, that continent, it is so negative, and now that reflect on us. So what would you say are some of the general systematic barrier that you experience?
6: I think, uh, if I may go up, um, there's something which we have really uh, missed out. some Disu some, some just said something and it echoed to me. Remember he said, when you come here, the first thing you, you get married to the first person you're romantically co- uh, connected with, right? And that's not so. Same thing we have in the same in East Africa. Now, that already starts shaping you as a man and how you're going to live in this country. Because at that point, you realize what is called dating. You know, we are from the culture where, yes, I see it like a dove. You see that woman, you like her, we go with it. Whatever goes whatever goes down the lane, I don't know, but we're going with her. So that is one of the first few things that changes you as a man from Africa to be able to navigate in a society where you start by looking at yourself as, okay, I can, I can go out with several women. Um, your mind starts changing as to what kind of a man you are. And I think that's one angle we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't forget to touch on. Uh, it's very, very important, because it's what will entail to say, are you going to get married? Somebody put, Nosa put it on the, um, on the chat and said, hey, um, when am I going to get married? Yes, you have options now. Does that make you get ready for marriage or does that confuse you? As an African, that could be also one way of looking at it as a barrier to why some of the African men are not quite willing to settle down. Because you have all these options available to you. Unlike back at home where... I see that one and I'm, I'm good with it, you know? So thank you. I'd say that's one of a barrier. Uh, thank you, Disu, for, for bringing that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. So anybody wants
7: to say in general, the systematic barrier that, you know, we tend to face in this country as an African man? Uh,
5: <clears throat> I, w- I I wouldn't. I wouldn't say barrier. I would say challenges in in my case. And like I said, you know, we are different. And we came here under different circumstances. Some came as immigrants. Some came as non-immigrants. Some came as refugees. And so depending on how you came the challenges will be different. There are some commonalities in the challenges, okay? Because the culture is different. I mean, I, I don't. if you're from Africa, anywhere in Africa, at least West Africa, you come to the United States or you go to the UK, the UK is a little different because most of us, uh, the countries are colonies. So we are quite familiar with the British, you know, system that makes a little difference. I mean, for instance, boarding school I went to, majority of my teachers were British. We had maybe one or two Americans, you know, British, Indians, Nigerians, and so on. So if you come here as a student, as I did, as for to graduate school, the challenge is for me, my challenge was every class I took, I was the only black face in that class. I couldn't find any black person. I, I went to Oklahoma State, and i give you an example. I was auditing a class, a 300 level class, as a graduate student. I wasn't taking it for credit, and as soon as I walked into the class, the professor came to me and said, are you sure you're not in the wrong class?
7: Hmm.
5: Thank you. Hmm. And I said, doctor, I'm not going to mention his name. I said, doctor, is this, I I gave him the call number, is this, class so 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 and he said yes and i said no i'm not in the wrong class okay then after the class after the class was over i said dr scissors so, so, can i talk to you for a second he was shocked and i told him by the way I am not taking this class for credit. I'm auditing this class because I didn't take this class in undergrad and I needed it for another class that I will take in the future. And I told him, I'm actually um, a graduate student in electrical engineering. Thank you so much for that. doctor. that is, those, those are the kinds of challenges that you face. Now, the challenges that I face when I start working as an engineer is, all, is different, you yeah. know? Yeah. And as you start to rise up the ladder and people see you, the challenges also multiply. Yes. Especially yes. from fellow black people, okay? Yes. It could come from Anybody? So that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It depends on how you came here, when you came here, why you came here, and as you stay here and for a longer period of time. And the challenges we face when we start having children is also different. <laughs> okay, yes. So it, it depends on which area of us, yes. you know, of your life in the United States you want to look at.
7: Thank so you so
5: It's very interesting because I, I assume some of you guys will be able to relate to what I'm saying, depending yes. on where you fit in. You know, did you come here as an immigrant? Did you come as a student? Did you come as, uh, so, some people came here because they studied in the UK or in Nigeria and they got a job. So yeah. they're coming here as a professional. But yeah. then you come here and you say, Well, I was a professor in Nigeria. A little it's a little different here, you know what I'm saying? So so it depends on, you know, your situation.
7: Yeah,
4: it's Korea part too, of what I took too yeah, long. Thank you. It's part of what I explained before. So, you know, because we have to look at, you know, some of all these uh, different situations that systematic barriers and challenges that many African immigrants face. Many immigrants also face the same. Because like I always say, you are not just, as an immigrant, you are not just facing uh, uh, systematic discrimination, you know, uh, uh, barrier. You also face discrimination from other minority groups as well. So we have to be open, talk openly about that. The challenges that we face from other people of color as well, because as an African, we're seen as being different you know so as a black person you you know from africa you also have to face other black people who look down you who does not think you fit in into their group or you are not black enough you know so it's a lot of all those things that we tend to go through so um i just want if anybody has any other things to contribute to that before i Go into, I know the time is going so fast, and I want to go into deeper conversation into household, you know, fatherhood within your household. You know, anybody has anything different to contribute to that regarding the uh, systematic barrier or difficulties or challenges?
6: I think I'll just put it this way uh, with Baba, what Mr. Babatunde said. You know, with the family culture, the way we are, um, this is also. Uh, the start of everything, you know, as I see, we're going towards the family. Now we've come as a single people. We're trying to get together. You're trying to find your way in the, in this society. You, you're trying to figure out which, which way do the people, you know, accept you, who's going to accept you, who's not going to accept you. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with first of all, your employers, your, you know, uh, your people around you as opposed to how you were taught, you know, by your, by your parents or by your father. Remember, you are a father figure who's going to have to teach your child who's going to be born or when you get a family. This is how you're going to teach them of your experiences. How was your experience? If you had a bad experience in the beginning, I think that will kind of fall in depending on who you are. It's not, it's not a, uh, a, a whatever blanket statement for everyone, but it's like that will shape you up to be, who or what you're going to tell your kids, you know, at some point you might say, you know what, I'm not staying in America. You know, I'll have my kids here just because I need to give them the, the, the one up. And then after that, I'm going back home. Or you'll just say, hey, you know what, I'm just packing up and going straight up because of what you experienced beginning and how you tried to maneuver yourself. Some make it, some don't. Yeah. So that's what I had to contribute to that statement.
4: I know there's this question before I go into the family and we've been talking about it. How many of you uh, African men have African-American friends that you say
6: you're close with? Or I don't have a choice, but uh, my wife is so family okay. and <laughs> so it, it so just flows Mr. in.
4: Yeah, Mr. Fapo, said he does. Mr. Disu, I know he may have some few African-American friends. You know, in England, I know they have Jamaicans and all these people from the island, you know, so it might be also be friends. So now let's go into the uh, fatherhood within the household. I know as a father, uh, is a, a sense of a pride, joy, responsibility and commitment to the family, which was already said here. And I want to bring Mr. Tai Wu into this conversation. I hope he's there to answer because I see that he's uh, mute. You know, I hope, you know, is is uh, on to answer this question. So I'm not sure whether uh uh-huh. Mr. Taiwo, you and your wife, you adopted a sunshine in your household <laughs> that I, I tend to see all the time. You know, she's so beautiful. You, you know, I call her a sunshine. And you and your wife couldn't, uh, you know, have your own child biologically for a reason that may not be of your fault or any other reason. So you both became a parent through adoption. Would you like to briefly talk about your family journey through this process? Just briefly, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. You're mute. Uh-huh.
8: Okay, yes, we do have a lovely uh, four-year-old going on, you um, But, uh, yeah, we had some challenges along the way after getting married and... You know, I always knew my wife had that desire to be a mother, and I knew she'd be a great one at it. Um, She also told me, even before we got married, that she always wanted to adopt a child. So I held that at the back of my mind, even before we got married. And, you know, what better time to get this done than, you know, when we did it. You know, I'm glad we did. And she's brought a lot of joy to our family, um, to my wife, and she's... She's growing up quickly and, um, yeah, it's been a good time, great experience, you know, having to be a dad and, uh, how just bringing joy to our home? Uh, I know initially before we finalized, you know, adopting her, there were some issues because of where we reside in Oklahoma, you know, uh. And, uh, she, she looks more white than, than black, even though she's mixed. So I had to like struggle through that initially, you know, having to deal with the head turning and, you know, looking at, oh, is that his daughter? (laughs) You know, things like that, you know, people, you know, just wondering, oh, did they take this child from somewhere or, you know, just dealing with all that. But at the point, I was like, you know, after she's lived with us for a while, after we fostered her, she was not really a part of our family. So I couldn't just think of any other, you know, way than to just make it formal and permanent. You know, Thank so. you so much.
4: So I want to further ask you a question. Uh, knowing that within African uh, society, most of um, the issue when it comes to fertility and childbirth, someone in your profession as a medical doctor And knowing that that society tends to push, you know, they have so much power into what, you know, how people decide their life, especially for a man, you know, telling uh, the man, listen, you have to have a child, you have to do this, you have to do that. Did you experience any kind of form of pushback, pushback from the community or the loved one, both in Nigeria and abroad?
8: You mean pushback on the adoption?
4: Yeah, on in terms of the adoption or making sure that you have to have your own biological child. In terms of them actually, you know, blaming you, telling you that listen, you know, uh, this is uh, is not, you know, this is what they believe you have to do. Because in, in our yeah. community, we experience that a lot. I've seen so many stories. I've seen so many marriages that break through that, through uh, uh, influence of other people within the community. Those who are not part of the family tend to come in. And, you know, they break part, you know, the, the, the family. They, they want to have a much more power, a much more contribution, a much more uh, uh, dictate, dictate what has to take place.
8: Yeah, you know, and especially, you know, me being the last born, you know, but, you know, my family respects me, right? Maybe by virtue of my profession, I don't know, Uh, but um, no one ever gave me any pushback, you know, as regards adoption of our daughter. Um, They were all very supportive. We carried them along um, even before we adopted her and all that. So, and they even got to meet her. You know, she went to Nigeria with us, you know, spent time, met my dad before he passed and all that. So, um, yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, one or two siblings, you know, like, you know, hey, you know, hey, are you going to try to have your own? Things like that, you know, but that's all they can do, right? Nobody's going <laughs> to, you know, dictate or tell me how to live my life.
4: Yes, yes. you and know. I'm glad um, you that, you know. I'm so happy that you hold on to your beliefs. So I just want to ask you one more question. What word of wisdom would you like to share with a couple or a person who may be thinking of adoption, especially among African immigrant community or even back home? Because it's not something that um, is common within our community or even back home within the sentiments itself.
8: Right. Um, So, Personally speaking, you know, and I remember when we first, myself and my wife first started this, um, we started first as, uh, foster parents. So we fostered her for a while. And like I said earlier, she, you know, she, we, 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 we grew, well, she, we loved her from, from the first moment, right? But, you know, that love continued to grow. So it just seems natural for us to make it formal, right? For her to, was to adopt her um but your question was uh what advice do we have yeah or do i have for people on adoption yeah so before i got around to even accepting to do this <laughs> um i had to like really sit down and think through it a lot because the average mindset of the typical Nigerian or maybe African man would be, you know, why well, would you adopt someone else's daughter, blah, blah, blah. You know, why not have your own, all that stuff. But again, a child, <laughs> I mean, she calls me dad. I'm her dad. You know, you, you're, you're a father, not necessarily by, like, biologically birthing someone. You're a father by you know, raising the child in the way that the child should be raised based on your values and your morals and all that. So I got to learn that, you know, through the process. And it wasn't something that I just decided on. And I think what also helped was, you know, I knew at the back of my mind, my wife had always told me that she wanted, she always had that desire, you know. And I thought, what better way to, you know, gift her that, you know, by just having her, become ours permanently. Yes.
4: So, thank you so much for that. Thank you. I know it's very and,
8: and, and I had one last thing to say. You know, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's also, you know, something that you have to be really selfless about. You know, you have to, you know, get through, you know, that mindset of, oh, why would I be taking care of someone else's child? You know, blah, blah, blah. You have to be selfless and, you know, just see it as a ministry to <laughs> Um, helping raise a child um, when the biological parents cannot have the opportunity to do that. Okay.
6: I wanted to jump in on this one and uh, have a question, and this will go to the men um, in this. And Taiwo, that's, that's actually regarding you in that situation and discussion. Um, does this issue of the fact that we are away from the country, I mean, between you and Nigeria and me and Kenya, so many miles away, they have to make you know, make that phone call to be able to call you and get you. Does that give you some type of buffer um, to be able to continue to what you're doing? Because I think if you were in that setting, in an African setting where in the morning you wake up and the whole rest of the family is there and you're in constant you know, community, there is that idea of you know kind of pressure that will get you going um with regard to the decision that you'll make in terms of uh, adoption i don't know if i'm putting this right uh to all the men out there do you think um maybe you can expound on it if you know, on your own thoughts but um being out here it's kind of it, it gives you some leeway or something like that yeah so Are you some
3: if you want me, I can. I, I get what you're saying, and if you, I can take a moment to translate it really quickly. If, if yes, that, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what, I, what I'm ba- I think basically what Brother Sambaz okay. is saying is that does the Im- does the immigration from your previous country to your current land does it create does the distance from your cultural experiences and exposure does that create a little bit more freedom and autonomy to be able to do these practices that are might be considered taboo if we were presently in the native homeland. So does the immigration experience and exposure to a new land in your resettled country, does that create some type of a buffer or, or, or a safety net that allows you to be able to do what you've discussed already? I hope I captured that right for you, brother.
8: Yeah, well, maybe you just added a little bit of a buffer. Maybe I'm the kind of person that if I am determined to do something, I do it. You know I yes, I listen to people i I tend to analyze the situation and stuff like that, you know, but if I'm bent on doing something and I decide to do something, I get it done um but, yeah, maybe not being physically in Nigeria um and being you know thousands of miles away, you know you know might have helped, um but I really don't see how if that really changed. You know, what I would have done still. You know, you can adopt in Nigeria as well. You know, they have lots of motherless babies' um, homes and stuff like that. So that's what they call them there. Um, so I don't think we do have changed anything, to be honest.
7: Thank
4: you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. We're almost, you know, because I have plenty of questions, but, you know, I just want to uh, ask you the last question in terms of your. As a father in this country, you know, um, in the Western world, whether you are in Europe or you are in America, you know, and I know many of us grew up in a home where we're raised with values such as honesty, integrity. Religious and cultural value, respect for the elders and others. And educational, you know, education is one of the most important, especially, you know, coming from Africa and, you know, coming to this country, everybody push for their children to go to school to do everything that they need to do. And uh, in, in many African immigrant homes, parents tend to say what they want their children to do. But then sometimes we, model a behavior that is completely different from what we are saying to our children. And a lot of times they tend to watch what we are doing. Are we actually conscious of all those? Because, you know, being a parent, we also have to model certain behavior. If um, I'm looking for integrity, I'm looking for values, I'm looking for respect. Because one thing I see with American children, not like, you know, we that we grew up back home. There's certain ways that we have to adjust ourselves, such as learning to listen, learning to understand that we cannot um, have our opinion made all the time in terms of understanding what their struggle is all about. I remember I've said this many times, my children actually taught me how to listen because, you know... In terms of they, they have something to say, many times I just have to be quiet. And I kind of my daughter has to tell me sometimes ago good dad, anytime I'm asking you for something, you use yourself as an advice. You talk about your own experience. That is not what I'm asking you, what I'm talking about. I want you to listen to what I'm saying now and reflect on the conversation, not use yourself as an example. Because the conversation, they tend to change around. And we become the main focus of the conversation. So are we, you know, as fathers, especially because I know many of our children talk about not being able to be approachable towards their fathers. Because everything is about giving rules and telling you what to do. I'm done with you and that's it. So, uh, if you, you know, man, the example might not be from your home home, but what advice would you give to those kind of fathers, those kind of parents, you know, those kind of um, uh, ways of parenting?
5: I, I, I like to take this first. Um, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, even up till. You know, nineteen eighty when I came to the United States. My first maybe fifteen years, I had no television. There was no running water. There was no telephone. (laughs) We didn't have a telephone. And we didn't, you know, I did. I was someone, there is nothing I didn't do. Someone was talking about changing diapers. I was changing diapers at age 13, 14. I was changing my nephew's diaper at age 13 and 14 because my mother made me do it. She taught me how to do it. And so one thing that we that I had to do or we had to do as parents growing up and having children is the fact that we had to adjust. Because if we're going if we're looking at what we did and didn't do when we were 13, 14 and 15 in the 60s or 70s and now you you have a child who is thirteen in the in the in the twenty fourth century it's it's not the same it's not the same i mean the 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 challenges the peer pressure the environment everything is different and so as parents, we have to be able to recognize the fact that we have to change. But at the same time, make sure that our values, our tradition, our culture is not totally compromised. There there is the good America and there is the bad America. You know, just like people say there is evil in everyone and there is Goodness in everyone. It depends on which one you feed at any point in time. So our ability to filter out the noise, okay, and then take what's, you know, what's good about this culture and weave it into our own culture to make sure that while we are raising our kids to live in this environment, we're still... You know, they still know who they are. That is the most important thing. Do they know who they are? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank and you, and that starts, and, I, and I'm going to land now. And, and that starts, for me, may not be the same for you, is the name. The name you give to your children. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's um, how you name them. And letting them know the meaning and why you name them the way you name them, I think that's the, that is the start you know yes. for them to know who they are, Thank because you. if they don't know who they are, then they will spend the rest of their life trying to be who they are not, and that, that could be very dangerous.
3: Auntie Auntie Kemi, really quickly before, I just want to interrupt really quickly by just acknowledging the fact that I think one of our invited panelists, Mr. Mamadou Sawaneh, just joined as well. And so he has his hand up. I think he was going to be one of the fathers contributing, if I'm correct. So um, Mr. Mamadou, I don't know if you have something you want to share really quickly before we get into our Q&A, but I want to open it up to you really quickly to share a few words before uh, we get into our open forum.
10: Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for that, and I apologize for coming late. um, um soccer games I just finished. So I wanna look at that area that you were just talking about, um, the uh, the relationship between uh, generations. I call them. A few years ago, I used to have from on that intergenerational dialogue where um, we we looked into what are the gaps between. Parents and the children there is a gap because we came from Africa with a different uh, mindset in the day of, of bringing up so here we want to install this in our kids and they, they are also struggling facing the challenges between the communities and the societies so how do we you know drive this to a point that we can have a mutual relationship that will you know breed love understanding and, and also um, I mean um, accomplishment of goals so this has been a challenge in our African community um, to a point that you know we we tend to fall in uh, victimized by the influence of our streets so for that being the case I think when a child expresses to you daddy you don't understand me um, look put things in, in his in his or her, perspective, and try your to position yourself. So you can say, yes, I understand where you're coming from, but listen, this is the way I think this should be done. For example, you know, uh, my kids used to use a lot of course in the house uh, in the beginning. I told them, this is definitely against our culture, it is against our religion. Just because you pick up these things from, from the street or from school, okay I, was, I struggled I finally I haven't been hearing any false words in the, in the house if they use it it has to be among themselves and among their friends, friends outside so this is what every issue you have as a parent you have to um, you know like um, you put yourself in a position where you know you have to sit down and your kids don't have to be scared of you and we are African fathers. We have to tend to always tend to have this, um, this personality. And not all of us, but most of us, you know, hey, you know, when kids want to say something, you scare them. So that's why they go to their mothers. Because, and I, I'm a victim of that. Before I knew this, I used to like cane all my kids around the house, even if they, they blocked their, their exams. And I realized that, you know, it scared the hell out of them. So what, what ended up happening was that, I end up sitting down and explaining to them the importance of passing the exams, the importance of studying and become successful. Instead of killing them all the time because I get I annoyed when I see them failing with all the that I given to them in America here in the Western world. Imagine me being struggling in Africa in the farms and so forth. I hope that better. I, I was doing better than what they're doing. They left. so. All these things we have to adjust. And, and I, I learned, you know, later on when I started to adjust, my kids started to they started to perform better. They would say, "Daddy, I want to, but Daddy, I think you know, oh, I want to, I want to try to picture. So I have to study hard, out of These are some of the examples I can give, you know, just to make sure that you know we close this gap and allow, you know, our kids to be comfortable, because at the same time, you know, and the families, we came from a different. Background. Even though they are kids, society here has shaped them in a way that we have to face the challenges and make sure. Thank you.
4: Yeah. So thank you so much, Mr. Momodu. Um, I really appreciate your contribution. I wish you would have been here earlier, but I understand you have a lot to to do today. So uh, right now, what we're going to do is to turn it over to question and answer. And I'm going to pass it to Miss Mosible of Mosible Podcast, so she's going to take over. I, you know, I really appreciate. This, this is a, so much worth of knowledge that was we'll shared today, and I think this is really powerful. Uh, you know, it's recorded. We're going to post it on our uh, podcast, and uh, you know, we take it from there. Thank you so much.
11: So, can you all hear me? Yeah, I just want to say also I'll echo what Mrs. Kepcay just said about all the pioneers have. Learned a lot and just sitting in the moment and hearing about the diverse experiences. So now we'll open it up for Q&A. We have taken some already from the chat. Uh, so this is your time to either unmute yourself, ask questions. You can also raise your hand and I'll get to you right away. So let's the time to ask any of our panelists questions you might have about, um, so, um, Mr. Papunda, you had your hand raised. Right? Did you have a question? Oh that this, no, 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 this is, no, no. oh, is Papola. Sorry, sorry. This is um Papua, I think. Yes, please go ahead.
12: Uh, oh, hello everyone. Um this is um this is just um enlightening and just um beautiful to be among the fathers, African fathers, who are able to share their experiences and uh, no matter how, how many years you've been a father or a mother, you, you just keep on learning. From from people before you and uh, and after you. So my question is, um, because I have adult uh, children and one of my my child um, is married with um, two um, two grandchildren um, is married and has two sons, so I have two grandchildren. But then I have a daughter who's the the younger of my children. Um, we all, you know, it's beautiful to have a, a very strong Father, a role model, because that's the first um, exposure of a daughter of who a a real, like a man is, what a man should be. And um, many of our our daughters, they've been exposed to good fathers. So um, because of that, um, you know, the standard, the expectation is usually high because of their upbringing what is expected of of a man, and as they grow older and they get into that space of, okay, choosing a spouse, um, it's a good thing because they know what they want. They know what a good man is. But on the other hand, what I've seen over the years is that many of our young ladies, as they begin to get to that space of choosing a spouse, It's very, very challenging for them, extremely challenging, because what they've grown up to be a good man, it's very limited out there for them. And then sometimes you see, oh, you know, what's the delay? Can't you find a good man or all that? And what I've been able to um, pick up from many of the young ladies, including my daughter and other young family members, um, Daughters and all the cousins and, and nieces is that we can decide to get married, you know, within a year because there's men out there. But the quality of men is the issue. Um, we we I just we just can't settle for just any any man. So that's the issue that I'm beginning to see with our young um, with our young um, women because choosing partners that are similar to their fathers, because that's all they know. And so what do you guys think? You know, I don't know. Anybody can come in. How do you, as a father, prepare your daughter, and you prepare them, and you're preparing them to be women who knows what's good for them? But when they get to the real world, would they get someone like you? Um, That's the question.
11: Thank you for that. And um, we appreciate that. Just in the interest of time, if you can help us keep your questions really short. So, um, Bob Tapoda is asking about preparing our children for marriage and especially for positioning themselves to get the right quality men once they're out of your protective abode as a parent. So, um, any of our panelists that would like to chime in on this question, that would be right. Um,
6: before I go, I think I'd, I'd like, uh, Mr. Babatunde to, and Mamadou to go first because I think they have, uh, older kids than I have and, uh, I, I'm <laughs> I might say something. Oh, oh, so you...
10: <laughs> what did you say?
6: I say you all go first.
10: Okay. I, I think I have a, um, I have a 17 year old, so I can go for this one. Uh, if you guys don't
11: mind. So sure, go ahead.
10: Sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my daughter, I have one daughter, so this is, you know, trust me, she's, she's the princess of the house. And um, I, I don't know, it's going to be a problem whoever is going to marry her because this is something that I'm going to be all in. So that being said, I I started preparing her. Um, first of all, I mean, I, she was just a, a great person when it comes to, like, um, studies. Um, she's an A student. Um, when it comes to mannerism, so I didn't have to do much. And, uh, and she looks, she looks up to me a lot in terms of like, you know, our grades and stuff like that. So I, I, I know what I, what I always, um, discuss with her is that, um, you know, but men, I always reveal to her what, uh, the, you know, succumbing of men that she has to watch out for. And this is not your, know, the shy issue. You see that watch, you know, dating, dating, um, Dating, you know, episodes and stuff like that in TV. I sit down, with are and six that men play, and then what? You know, what are what are what are things that are out there? But the what, what is what is it that the
7: the woman? And
10: so what I told my daughter is responsibility. A man has to be up to the up to that responsibility, that task. You cannot have a man that is going to be dependent on you. Uh, make sure that, you know, whoever you're relating with has something to offer. Just because the person looks cute, hasn't it it's a small talker, I don't have to, that doesn't pay the bills. course, you have to look at somebody who's going to be as career-oriented like you. So I usually have that, you know. And I also position myself, anything I'm doing, I look at my daughter, you know, um, as 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 a reference. If I do certain acts in the community, or if I'm accused of certain things, how is my daughter going to look at like this? And perhaps, what kind of example am I setting this in my, to my daughter? Because I, I'm the person that she look up to, and, and she wants to emulate somebody like me. So she even told me that my first child will be named. That's how much, you know, like, uh, you know, our relationship is. So, I always watch out and it kind of, like, keep me on the right path because even, you know, like, I want to go out and then kind of, like, um you know, do some other things, kind of think twice, you know, I have a daughter that is going to really, you know, you know, I don't want to let down. So, you know, if you have that as a parent in the back of your mind, you will definitely, I mean, you how to, how to react things or how to do a thing and I always tell my, my my daughter that you know take your time in a relationship um just don't like just don't go by your emotion by it. but look at the person that you are dating what is their background like how good are they how critical they are at they how you know like uh caring their friends that you have to look at and we he really at women and then and say, We want this person. But every day, any day, when somebody else comes, we want to go for that one too. So, the kind of things you have to observe now. Take your time when you're in your relationship right. and have a good position with your partner to know what they're really looking for.
11: This person God. I have one. Thank you. Thank you. you. So basically, just modeling what that would look like um, before they go out there. I think that perfectly captures that. We have a question from um, Ms. Latifa Tabiru. If you can ask your questions the end, so that way we can wrap this up. Thank you. Yes.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Thank you to all the panelists for sharing about your experiences and being so open and candid. One of the questions that I would like to ask you all is, you know, you all have talked about how your past experiences, whether it's your grandparents, your um, parents, friends, you all have talked about how it's kind of like informed how you are as a parent. I'm curious about what do you do to actively be open to changing your parent strategy, your parenting strategies? Like how are you checking, what systems do you have in place for checking in with yourself to, to make sure that you're being the kind of parent that you want to be? How are you open to be, to receiving feedback and allowing yourself to be changed? Um, so, in a nutshell, what are you actively doing to be a better
11: parent? That's a very good one so basically, what are you doing to be a better parent? um Anyone wants to take this maybe somebody so that way you can hear from him
6: okay um thank you La- latifa latifa um I think I try as much as possible to be to be accepting of change i mean that's one of the hardest things as a as a person, first of all, and then as a man, when uh, you you have to make these changes in life and uh, realize that, hey, you know, my kids are growing, I have to readjust to the way I'm thinking, as opposed to what I know. Um, Yes, at some point, I think my kids are reminding me, oh, yeah, this is what you used to do when you were young. This is not the kind of lifestyle that you have right now. So at some point, it throws me off and I still have to go back and say, you know what, I have to think, rethink what it is. Uh, technology has changed. A lot of changed. So I have to go and, um, and, and kind of, uh, be open to a little bit of change. I know it's really hard, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I try as much as possible. It's one of the hardest thing to do as, um, as a man on um, my perspective. Um, I want to throw in this thing, uh, one more thing to answer the, the previous question, uh, if you'll allow me, uh, Mo, when you talked about uh, your daughters, how to raise your daughters, uh, there are two things that I noticed about, um, I'm going to rush through this, two things that I've, no, I've noted about some, some girls that I have uh, talked to before. Number one, one of them said that the dad used to take them out to one of these expensive places. I mean, they would be taken out to dinner and it was not going to be McDonald's or Burger King or something like that. It would be a hundred dollar type dinner whereby, you know, if the next man who's going to take her out will be like, look, um, you have to spend this much money. And the most, you know, you talk about, the girl will keep talking about, oh, my dad takes me out to this. You know, it kind of throws off a man and they'll be like, okay, I want to do what the guy has done before, right? This is somebody who's told me this before. Another one said this, the dad did one weird thing. They always bought flowers every week. And this is not even her dad, it's her stepdad. Bought flowers every single week and gave them. It got to a point till the man, her, her boyfriend said, no, 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 no. Tell him to stop. I'm the one who's going to be buying you flowers every week in the house. Right now, let me give, it, let me give you my perspective. We used to buy Christmas uh, trees, right? And we used to buy those uh, plastic ones. My wife used to bicker. oh, my dad used to buy fresh, fresh ones every single year. He used to buy fresh ones every single year, two years down the line we have been buying fresh uh, Christmas trees since then. So I think there's some things that you would do as a dad to set some standards for your girl so that it puts her or separates her from everybody else and shows her that this is what you would expect of a man for her. And if she carries on that, then whoever comes in takes over from you and you know, makes her a better person. That's what you hope for. I, I, I think I'll land with that. Thank you.
11: Thank you so much for, um, responding to that. Um, someone asked in the chat, um, Mr. said, as African parents with high standard of education, either to become a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer, how would any of you, any of your fathers handle issues of your children or child becoming an artist, entertainer, or not so high standard degrees? Ooh, tables are being shaken today. Um... Anyone Mister well?
5: Well, um my, my son is uh is in the uh financial business. He he his bachelor's degree is in um sports management, and he also did a master's degree in sports leadership. And I am an engineer, okay. And my daughter had a bachelor's degree in business and a master's degree in international development. So I never, never told my kids what to be. But I kept telling them, be the best you can be. And I... Uh, before i finish answering this question there are three things i want to say about uh, the, the the other question the availability is very important as a father you got to be available and then the other thing is do not miss the opportunity of a teaching moment because some situations will arise, you gotta pay attention. And so you gotta be able to say, okay, this is what happened, and use it as a teaching moment for your girls, regardless of their age, whether they're single or married and so on. There are things you see and you say, okay. And then the other thing I would say is, I tell them, you have to be able to identify an authentic human being that your future husband must be authentic you cannot find a replica of your father it's not possible because no two people unless you're identical twins will be identical to your father there are some things you have to there, are some, there should be some trade-off you know what is very important character is very important mm. And the person who will be there, you can actually simulate some scenarios so that you see how the guy you're dating and so on will react. You know, that is a way for you to identify the right person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. That That's, I don't want to take too much of your time, but that that's my, uh, you know. Um...
11: Thank you so much, Mr. I Appreciate it. Um, Abdullah today. Sorry if I'm butchering your name. You had your hand up, so just go ahead.
2: No, 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 you're saying it right. I have got on the AirPods and I'm driving. Let me know if my audio goes out. Okay. But the question that I have, and I want to gear my question towards some of our older dads, the well experienced one, uh, I'm assuming uh, Baba Tunde and, and whoever else follows. Um. So, so go ahead uh in America and just kinda of watching my dad. I really never saw him break down. And it's 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 hard to imagine that uh he's never had a reason to break down. And, and I know uh, uh Baba Tunde mentioned I think that was like one of his comments was just uh being like a strong dad and all of that. And uh obviously there's there's a lot of value in that. Um now for I, I would say I like our generation and, you know, the, uh, some of us who are, uh, you know, more, uh, I guess a little bit more woke in a way. And, you know, we're a little bit more in tune with our feelings. Um, how can uh, because I, because I'm, I, I am a dad and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a newer dad. Um, uh, my, my kid is two and a half years old. And I do have an infant. Um, what can you tell some of us younger dads who, uh, want to be more, uh, in tune and, and open about like our emotions and, and are, are more transparent than, you know, some of like our older dads who, uh, again, like you never see the breakdown. Um, how could you, uh, manage your, your emotions, um, and, and, and leverage that because there, there is value in, in, in being, um, an open person. Uh, while while still um, leveraging the value of being like a strong dad in a way. So thank that's,
11: you that's so the much question that, that I to So the question is really about emotional um, availability and evil vulnerability, especially from our men when it comes to um, showing that side to their children. So.
5: Well, uh, thank you. you. You mentioned my name, and I'm going to take a shot at this. There is one saying that I, you know, my, my, my son and daughter and even my wife, I say this a lot. The first casualty of emotions is reason. We, we as human beings have to be emotional. And we have to be vulnerable because you will be vulnerable. When I'm talking about strength, I'm talking about strength and weakness. What I mean by that is there is that God did not guarantee that everything will be okay from the day you were born until you die. So we as human beings would have to experience something that would make us uh, that would test who we are. And so being strong doesn't mean that you cannot be emotional about what's going on. I mean, if you go to your to your, to your son's or daughter's uh, game, you gotta get excited, you know, because in that situation, that is what you have to do. You're showing that the support. But what I'm trying to say is, when things aren't going well, okay, you as the head of the family, you can't break down. You cannot. You have to you have to be strong, but that doesn't mean that you can you cannot show that, you know, you can cry. That's okay. You can cry. I've cried. I I I cry more than I smile sometimes because I get emotional. But the the, the, the thing is you are conveying something. You know, it doesn't mean you're weak. That's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, but at the same time, you don't want to be carried away by emotions mm-hmm. so that you miss, you know, the the right thing for you to do at any particular point in time, depending you, on sir. on the situation.
11: Thank you, so uh,
5: Does that makes
11: sense? Do I, do I, does. That make sense? It, it does. It does. Uh, Mr. Diso, I, I like. I would like to hear your thoughts on this as well. Thank you, know And lovely to see your daughter. She's so cute. <laughs>
7: uh
0: thank you I am a father to a five year old daughter so i think in in many ways i'm still trying to figure out um, the balance in in being a strong uh, figure as, as a symbol of strength uh, for for my kid as well as uh, showing vulnerability and i think i i would I would naturally fall um, in line with someone like Abdullahi Sisse, who has spent a, a, um, a long time living and growing up in the U.S. and who who understands that yes, it's it's yeah. important and perhaps even necessary in the foreign environment, living in the U.S. to to. It's okay to be vulnerable and allow for my child to, to learn about life and seeing how I deal with vulnerability in difficult situations. Um, I, I won't take any more time. Uh, I think I'm going to naturally fall more in, in being more vulnerable uh, than my father was
11: in, in the household. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, we we're gonna have a hard stop. Let me
4: just uh, sorry. Let me just say something to Abdulai. Say, okay. Abdulai, <laughs> thank you so much for attending. I know I've always involved you in so many community conversations, and the next one is going to be you and Kelechi as a new you know young father who are raising your children in America, and you grew up in this country. So you are the next one. Be ready for that. Mm-hmm.
6: No pressure. Yeah. Um, we're just going to have a hat. Oh, um, no. Yes. Can I, can I interject here for a little sure, second? Sure. There's a very important question that was posed here by someone. And I don't think that we it was, it's some topic that we can discuss today because it's really a tough one. Which um, the one that's, what do you expect of your child as a parent, especially an African uh-huh. parent as being an immigrant, uh, what do you expect them to be as a doctor, as a, as a lawyer, as you know, if they want to be an actor? I think that is a very, very tough subject that we should give it its own merit and talk about it as one subject for a day. Um, I think we're not doing it justice when we just pass through it as just a question.
11: Thank you. Thank and you. with are-
6: regard to being vulnerable, um, I think I'll go with Babatunde and Samidisu. We have to choose what we want to be vulnerable about. You um, personally, I would say, um, being African, you are the man. You stand, and this is an African man. You stand to be the head of the household. You have to show some type of um, restraint to a point. I'm not saying that you don't cry if it really takes really is taking you hard my advice this is my opinion i would go to a certain room and and bust my eyes out it's not that i don't want to show my kids that i am vulnerable they will see the vulnerability in me a child can tell that this man is vulnerable to cry yes they'll i'll show them but you cannot you you have you choose which or what you are going to be vulnerable about you know, you like Baba Tuna said, don't be taken away by emotions and just, you know, cry, 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 cry. It doesn't make sense. So that's one point I wanted to put in there. Thank you.
11: Thank you so much. Um, so we, if you still want to linger on after closing, you, you're more than um, welcome to stay behind, but we just want to honor our time. Um, And thank you for all of the questions. Our podcast names, we have been putting them as a slideshow. If you'd like to be a part of our conversation, make sure you check us out on socials. And I'm going to put all of that again in the chat. I'm going to hand it over now to Nancy to close us up.
1: Hi, everyone. Again, uh, this has been, we can all admit, this has been a very powerful conversation and a well-needed conversation. Thank you so much for joining. And um, just to highlight our panelists Thank you, Auntie Kimi, Kilechi, Mo. Thank you, guys. And um, it's a common theme from what I've just been listening. I'm a single parent. I've learned so much from all of you fathers um, that we continue, even though we are outside of our own countries, we are continuing to install our values and our cultures in our children and there's so much to learn. Uh thank you for so much insight and uh inspiration. This conversation is going to continue on our platforms as um more as mentioned. We have our our names are in right there <laughs> in the slides. Um but yes, follow us. Um we are all podcasters and um our next conversation on in this on this forum will continue with the fathers that are first generation in America. So to all of you fathers, happy Father's Day. And um thank you so much for showing up for your children and for your wisdom. Thank you.
11: Yeah, we also have this recorded by the way. Ms. Eike, do you want to tell them about how they can access the recording after
3: um. Yeah, so just, again, we will be, and that was one of the main reasons we had, um, like, the registrations, we have your emails. Once we have everything um, recorded, we can be able to share this um, with, to your respective emails, and you can be able to share it. We'll also post it on our platforms, and um, we'll make sure that it is available on different ways. And as and as um, mentioned, it'll also be in our podcast platform if you want to listen to the audio version. We hope to also have this on YouTube. Uh, we'll do some more formal editing. We'll make sure that it's available for you all to watch on YouTube as well. Because of course, as mentioned, this is a very important, powerful conversation that was uh, made at the right time for with the right people. And so uh, all it'll be available in all those ways.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank Happy you for Father.
3: joining.
1: Happy Father's Day. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.